0: Everybody, it's Brian. I, I know what you're saying. What are you doing coming on at the top of the show? This is not something that I tend to tend to do with RIYL, but this is a very uh, very special episode and, and for those of you who don't who don't read the description before the show goes up, I thought uh, thought I'd give you a little bit of a preamble for what's going on. So, as um, so you can tell by the title we are rapidly approaching the hundredth episode of the show. We're actually one off right now, so I thought I would do something a little bit special for episode ninety-nine, which is I am taking all of the, uh, all of the interviews that I've done over the past couple of years that for whatever reason didn't really make it onto the show, um, I will I will take them on a case by case basis. I will explain to you uh, why they didn't make it in, in the original incarnation. Um, in a lot of cases, it's it's, uh, it's sound quality. So we've got a show in here that was recorded live. It's got some really really bad phone feed. Not really really bad. <laughs> Okay, I'm, I'm overselling how how terrible it is. Uh, it's got some somewhat distracting phone feedback. It was recorded on a TASCAM, not directly, uh, not directly into the mics. Doesn't sound great. Um, got uh, another one here um, that was recorded in the back of the, a taxi cab, which didn't go great for all sorts of reasons. Um, and 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 it goes on and on. So we've got four four interviews in total. Um, why you were? Uh, we're gonna start things off with this interview with with, uh, with Dick Gregory, which is from. Um, it's actually from Mother's Day, right around Mother's Day. It was from uh, from last May. you will pick up on that very, very quickly because he he is uh, he's talking about Mother's Day, um, right at the top of of the interview. I I just sort of, uh, I you know, I, I, as I sometimes do, I I just turn the microphones on and, and just. Let uh, let him let him roll without any prompting. Dick Gregory very much did not need any prompting. He was uh, explaining Mother's Day to me. Um, that is the one that happened in the back of a taxi cab. So uh, I, I was lucky enough to to sit in on a recording that he, that he was doing a, a comedy show recording that he was doing with um, uh, who was there? Uh, Al Jaffe was there. Uh, Joe Franklin, who um, sadly has recently passed away. Uh, Dick Cavett was there. It was a uh, it was, it was it was a pretty pretty incredible thing to to see and um i was i was uh told, you know i'd get a chance to interview uh mr mr gregory uh there was uh, there were some scheduling issues things got pushed back they were a little bit late so what ended up happening was uh he was he had just come in from from out of town uh, to do this interview specifically and he had a train to catch um right after it wrapped up he had a train to catch in about like 20 minutes, we were about, um, you know, maybe around 15 minutes or so away from uh, right away from Penn Station where we had to catch a train. So um, I was told that uh, I would still have a chance to interview him if I get interviewed in the back of a taxi cab. So we 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 got an Uber. We, you know, I, I, I grabbed. He, he had a bunch of luggage with him um, for. Less than a, a, a day long stay, which we're going to get into that a little bit later. It has to do with the fact that he reads over Over a thousand dollars worth of newspapers every week, so he we had a lot of stuff on him. But, um, you know, the was were a little late, got there, we, we threw the bag in the back. I'm uh, doing this interview. Um, I, so a lot of stuff happened. Um, I had a, it just had a juice before the interview had started, and it was not, it was kind of doing some terrible. Things to me, I, I'm not not sure what what had happened. It might have been one of those E. coli spinach situations. Um, and then uh, sitting in the back of the taxi cab, I you know I tend to get carts up relatively easily. It that that is uh, you know that is that is uh, that is exponential in the back of a uh, taxi cab in in New York City with that stop and go traffic. And compounded by the fact that I didn't spend any of the interview actually looking out the window and spent all of it, uh, looking at Mr. Gregory because I was, I was interviewing him. So all of that was happening. There was a lot of stuff churning, uh, in my system as I was doing this interview, but, uh, you know, thankfully, um, he's very, very good at talking and a very, very fascinating person. So he did all the heavy lifting in this, in this conversation. I think that that's pretty clear. Um, ended it, parked the car, I grabbed his stuff. Literally ran to the uh, to the to, to the Amtrak gate, and he, they, they, you know, they were just about to close the doors. He made it. I said goodbye, thanked him so much, walked outside, and lost my lunch all over the sidewalk. So that is the that is the story of uh, of of why this didn't go up initially. But you know what? I, I went back and I listened to it, and and, and I you know actually think it went. All things considered reasonably well. It's very uh, super, super fascinating interview for, for
1: so many reasons. So uh, so here you go. Uh, interview number one, Dick Gregory. Mothers is probably the most important people on this planet. Maybe the universe, but I don't know no other mothers. I'm sure they are. And yet, they have not pushed for this day to be a date. So... It's worth interrupting commerce. Mother's Day, do to interrupt. Because it's
0: anytime. on a weekend.
1: Yeah. And they were going to give us King's Holiday six years before, but we wouldn't take a Sunday yeah, we interrupt commerce. If anybody deserves to interrupt commerce. It's Mother's Day.
0: I mean, if anything, Mother's Day is driving commerce, right? I mean, people are buying more more stuff than... Yeah,
1: but you still... No, look. Uh, see, we always get around bullshit. That... That's how Christmas becomes Christmas because yeah. it's commerce. Yes. And and mothers they do commerce because they just accept Except, it, but it need to be a legitimate holiday. Banks just, need to be closed, not just on some day they close anyway.
0: Yeah. You just say mothers need a day off.
1: No, I'm not saying that. It's just you know, a Muslim friend of mine, my mm-hmm. cousin, told me. I said, "Merry Christmas." I don't celebrate no whitey Christmas. I say any time Christmas falls on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, fine, your bank closed. You celebrate. Me. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And I'm just, I'm just serious about that. That's that's. Uh, I mean, theoretically, we know the value of mother because when you look at the gifts we give mom compared to what we give dad. Yeah. You know.
0: Moms are uh, moms are a lot harder hard- harder to uh, t- shop for. I find.
1: Yeah, well, you know, if you love them, shit, they love you. Anything you get them, they happy. But dad, dads
0: aren't they're not good about that. Fucking
1: socks, man! <laughs> Purple fucking socks. <laughs> Serious? I'm sorry, Go ahead and ask me. No, no,
0: no, uh, no. I wanna I was gonna ask you because we, because uh, I care you. You brought a lot of stuff with you for a day. You're in New York for a day for. Not oh, even a full day
1: No, I do I did I with I Three, four big bags I do yeah. all my research is in those
0: bags I know that I, I heard that you're a big uh Big newspaper you, re- you read what A thousand dollars worth Of newspapers a week A week, yeah I,
1: I There used to be a time When newspapers Newspapers have never been good In America Yeah Never they, All of them? Listen Yeah If I know Kennedy Didn't die in Dallas You mean the New York Times Didn't mm. know that? Mm-hmm if I can find out that Hoover, there was a woman who was supposed to have been the number one psychic in the world, Gene Dixon, mm-hmm. you know, column and, and then we get to doing the research and find out on the Freedom of Information that he worked for Hoover, and mm-hmm. he would give us his targets 18 months ahead of time. So 18 months before the Dallas, he wasn't even booked to go to Dallas when our column came out. I see dark clouds around JFK's head in Dallas. He should not go there. And he go there, pop, it, and they run the call a week later. Mm. My mother would have been like, nice. she she sits at the right hand of God. That's all well, that's bullshit.
0: So why are you why are you reading so many newspapers if you don't if they're bullshit?
1: I look for the crack in the fabric.
0: Mm. Mm. The truth. The crack between the, the lines.
1: Yeah, but it's plane. The plane is missing. That's bullshit, man. All the money we spend on research, they can track this cab from a satellite mm. anywhere around the world, and they can't track that plane. That's bullshit. You don't think it's just at the bottom of the ocean somewhere? If it is, they know it. I'm not yeah. saying if it is, they know it. See, what we do is try to give them excuses based around the bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, 20 scientists was on that plane. New York Times don't know that? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. 20 scientists. Evil scientists. They do shit that would make Hitler blush. they from Malaysia, but they work out of Austin, Texas. Okay? You have, uh, in the last... First of the year 18 top bankers Have been murdered They call it suicide Now one paper Even if it was suicide You mean the New York Times Don't write about it Mm. Something wrong
0: When did you uh, When did you really start Getting interested in this In this stuff I mean in, in in this stuff That isn't being reported
1: When I was In a little black nightclub And I used to take All the white papers up Yeah And just make fun of it (laughs) <laughs> there was a big murder. Uh, three powerful rich white women was murdered at, at a reservoir, a Star Rock Reservoir. And they arrested one man. So mm. i had to go up on the stage and I said, <laughs> look at the white folks, one man can't rape through them, can't rape three women and six men that don't run and pass. Now at yeah. the time I didn't know this lesson I said it wasn't delicate women because he was hiking in twenty-two inches of snow so, when I mean, it's all black nightclub, so you pay $5 dollars to get in and you can sit through three shows. I see these three white dudes sitting in mm. the front row, mm-hmm. not laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so when I walk off the stage, guy walks back and says, We need to talk to you. Mm. I say, Talk to your mama, motherfucker. He pulled his little gun up to you, better use it. Mm. I don't intend to kill nobody, but if you think you're big enough to kill me, I'm going to write a while. So then the good cop came. Oh, he said he's just cool. I say fuck you too. So then this other white dude come in. That changed my life. He said, "I'm uh, I think what you're doing is just outright awful, disgraceful. One of them women was my wife. But I'm willing to give you this five thousand dollars if you stop talking about it. That's when my life changed. That's when I knew I had to." Hmm.
0: That's, uh what year was that?
1: 57. 57. So this is something. This is something you've been interested in yeah, for I just, a long I time. I've always looked at it. In other words, when uh, when the World Trade Building was hit, Yeah. Mm-hmm. right around the corner from the World Trade Building is a fire station. I don't know if it's number seven. Or 343 firefighters died that day. That's not counting the ones that was injured. Mm. Not one fireman from a block away was injured or killed. Mm -hmm. Does somebody know something? Mm. (laughs) They go to the World Trade Building before that a minimum of 50 times, a maximum of 75 times a day because of the insurance. You know, your smoke detector go out. You can change yeah. it there because the insurance. You have to call it in, yeah. and the fire uh, comes around. Inspector. Yeah. And then they send you a bill. Now, if you go back, it, it, it would pay you to do this. And then you start seeing things. The San Francisco Chronicle, on the 12th, Said that Willie Brown, man, San Francisco, Mm my guy, was tipped off last Friday not to go to New York. Now, the crazy thing about it, no paper ran that. Yeah. That's why I say you got to check it and then it'll blow you away. Somebody ran it by mistake. Huh?
0: Somebody let it slip through.
1: No, they just, they just, they heard it. Yeah. Now, that Friday, that Friday, Okay. They ran another front page story. Ex Secretary of State George Shultz mm. was told a week before, "Don't go to the meeting in New York." Mm. Well, even if it's bullshit, how come no other paper ran it? Huh?
0: Let me, let me, because you, you, you know, you've. Uh you're best known for being a comedian. You're a writer. Um, you've done all this work. Right. You've got a, had a very successful health food company. Yep. And it seems like, you know, for most people, when, when they look back on people, they remember them for one specific thing, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you had to pick.
1: Well, it's, it's the work you do in conspiracy because all of stuff in my life don't determine if the country's going to fall so, but in a, in a in a
0: in a way, you feel like it's all kind of led up to what you're doing now. I mean, this is the culmination. No,
1: not really. No. I've just i just been doing it for so long. Here's see, it's more to that. It's the shock. I grew up in an all Negro neighborhood. Yeah. I didn't see no white folks. Hmm? I seen no white folks. And the only white folks we saw was the ones coming in the neighborhood to collect or sell something. Mm. So they ain't about to say nigga. Mm-hmm. Hmm? So when I was called was by another Negro, that didn't bother me because nobody ever told me what a nigga looked like hmm. what bothered me if you called me black I knew I was black see white folks don't know nothing about us because they never been there yeah huh 90 I'm 82 years old 99% of black women I've ever met in my life including my, I've never heard them say the word nigga hmm. white folks don't know that hmm. so if it's a man thing it must be a sex thing hmm? you know it's, it's the weirdest fucking thing you've seen in your life. Okay, whole game. So you look and you see stuff, and all it once it just disappears. You don't see it in the paper, you don't see it nowhere. And white folks, because the white folks believe that they're free in America. Mm-hmm. If one of my sons came to new york and went to hilton and killed forty seven white folks he gonna get elected chair mm. hmm? if one of them, what's the what's, the, what's the, 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 the next guy in line to be king in new york Oh, uh, in, in New York? No, I mean in, in London. Oh, uh, uh, William. No, no, I mean his father. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Charles, sorry, Charles. Boy, if yeah. Charles's son yeah. came here and went to the Hilton and killed 200 people, yeah. he's not going to get an electric chair, so I wonder why you white folks be talking about freedom. Hmm? Hmm. You know that, and if anybody's stupid enough, they need to go to the mental hospital. It's that simple. Is that a, that's a
0: white and a black thing, or that's a money thing?
1: it don't make no difference the fact that y'all don't know it. Mm. Huh? The fact that y'all are, yeah, oh, it's horrible. Where, where can you live like this? Uh-huh. <laughs> you know? And the question I've always asked, if this democracy is so good, why are we running around the world trying to force it down people's throat with a gun? Anything good, you lock the door so they don't steal it. Well,
0: let, let me ask you, and I'm not asking this with, with judgment, but as a, a genuine question, you know, in, in terms of freedom in this country? I mean, is the fact that you are able to talk, you know, able to say, have been able to say the things you've been saying, is that a testament punch to freedom? Punch
1: up, punch up, punch That's <laughs> where y'all fuck up. Okay. <laughs> you know, the Germans did the same fucking thing. Mm. Huh? All them Jews come out at night. Huh? They do this, they do that. And you can buy into it because you're born into it. Huh? You're born into it. And so consequently, I got a motherfucker asked me at a conference last week, how come you're so angry? I ain't angry, motherfucker. You stole my mama's mama's mama, Fucking raped them, fucked me, and I ain't mad. You think I should be mad because you did it. Hmm? Mm-hmm. You did it. Not me. And I'm real white folks, like you petty motherfuckers, they bring my mama in to cook for them, take care of their children. Nobody in the history of the planet. You think you think the the Nazis would bring in Jews to cook their food? In my spirit, they see it. Any white folks don't. They scared. Huh? They, just, they, they, sit. they had law. If you was white and teaching me how to read, they'd kill you. Okay? And yet they ain't got a book at Harvard, Yale, and MIT. None of my children grandchildren, can't read from front to back. This shit didn't work. No slave was ever a slave less than three six thousand years, mm. except us. In three hundred years, we we broke out because when that white boy thought he was stealing the work, he was stealing us. Scientists, I built the pyramid, hmm? and through ignorance of white folks, you know the cotton gin, Eli Whitney, mm-hmm. bullshit. All you got to do is go to federal court. Eli Whitney's rich parents, he they sent him to. To Virginia to stay with this rich family oh, the summer you know yeah. he saw these Negroes sitting in the field with these little boxes he went back and put a patent on it but the white woman that that was her father they went in the federal court so we got records okay. did not invent the cotton gin are we I think we're actually here now our oh, it's yeah right are
0: people and, and we can end on this because we're about but there but if you need more
1: time just call my wife okay. and can do it on the phone yeah, yeah. But yeah. L-
0: let me ask you real quick And are, are people now are they are they more willing to listen to
1: you no the real one said but that ain't my fault mm. that's the fault of you all <laughs> I mean white folks have radio stations now yeah. I mean, who in the fuck would ever have a script about and so? the first lesbian coming in I know they're talking about Hillary okay that could never happen before. That's where the thing
0: had changed. So, this was another conversation that I was really excited to do. I was going to go interview the Black Lips at the uh, the Tribeca Hotel in Manhattan. Um, uh, re- you know, really, really cool situation it was actually the, the uh, most, most of the band, several band members were there. Uh, I got there. Um, it was a little. You know, always, always sort of a, a little iffy. Um, you know, he's a little embarrassed by you know when I show up to an event and I've only got two microphones—one for me and one for um, like four people in a band. Things got so much worse uh, when 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 I opened up my case and one of the microphones was broken. So this is an interview. This is uh, me speaking to the Flaming Lips, who, as far as I'm concerned, are one of the best bands going. and literally. Passing the microphone back and forth the entire time, so you know you, you heard some mic jostling happening in the last one because that, that was all happening in the back of a, a cab. But this is literally the the you, you will get you will pick up the sound of the microphone as it passes from person to person. Um, the levels are not really great because of that either. So it's you know three or four different voice levels all going in the same microphone. So fair warning, this the sound quality of this one is. It's, it's it's not great um, you, you've been for one but you know i think it's still uh, all, all things considered still ended up being a, a pretty interesting interview with those guys so you know i did uh, didn't run initially um you know again one of those things where i wasn't super stoked about getting it up as a as a standalone show uh, but i went back and listened to it and i, you know, I think there's still some 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 pretty fun stuff here so uh interview number two episode 99 here's the black lips
2: uh, this is this is this is nothing to us. We uh we live a very lavish lifestyle, so, uh, th- this is actually this is kind of like two star hotel for us. Usually we we were supposed to be at the Plaza, but uh, they didn't have our rooms. Sometimes we stay at the Astoria, the Waldorf Astoria. Yeah. But they, had, they they had too many dignitaries in town.
0: Well, I mean, you guys, you, you know, you guys have. Been in like what six of seven continents at this point. You've played countries nobody else has played before. Um, I've got to imagine that you've had some pretty lavish setups in some of those places.
2: Yeah, I mean, we've stayed at everything from a hole in the ground to a seven-star hotel. So we'll take we'll take whatever you give us, as long as you have a place where you can lie erect. Then we're fine.
0: Is there is there, is there uh, any impulse to do the kind of, um, like the rock star, like let's, I mean, have you, I assume you haven't like thrown a TV out a window at any point, but.
2: Don't assume anything, because I have done that. Have you? Yeah, that's not dead. That that tradition is not dead.
0: Uh, in, in all seriousness, like, you know, when you guys were, when you guys were starting out, um, you know, you were known for doing super crazy shit on stage. You still do that to some degree, and I'm wondering, like, if you've, if you set a standard, Early on that you feel like you've got to Kind of live up to
2: No we just uh, We never did that in the First place like stuff Happened and whatever Whatever people want to talk about Or write about on the on the Outside then that's fine but we do We put it on a rock and roll show we're entertainers That's all we do the Media outlets.
3: <laughs> Run with what they want To run with Well It didn't happen
2: but it doesn't happen like y'all Think it's happened
0: I mean, there's
2: definitely there's definitely a narrative that people want sometimes, and uh, you, know, you can have that, but we're just not that.
0: The the narrative of like of like pissing on stage
4: of.
2: Well, there you know like every story has to have like a build up and an arc and a narrative and then you know a conclusion, and we're just we just do what we do, and sometimes one show could be you know we'll. The only thing we do is we, we, we're trying to give people their money's worth, yeah. and we just put on a good show because we're entertainers. We're stage, stage performers.
0: Sure, and I, like, I get that. That's part of my job, right, is to, 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 to sort of, like, to, yeah, to, to, to read in, into these things. But, you know, again, like, if some crazy shit happens on stage. What
2: people I don't think have ever understood is it's so simple like there's no there's no story narrative there's no arc there's no conclusion it's just we put on a show like you know James Brown little Richard they put on a show every night cuz they went out there and they gave it their all and that's just what we do
0: well yeah well so, see my you know my, under- my understanding is you know early days like so many punk rock bands you guys didn't really know what you were doing as, as far as playing instruments and you, you you and that's why you went out and did some crazy shit
2: no, we just did that because we were having fun and we were drunk and bored. A uh-huh.
3: bunch of young men, the opportunity to throw a party every night in a different city. Yeah, we we just having fun.
0: But it's been, it's been what like 15 years or so. Well,
3: we're still young men. What are you, what are you saying?
0: I'm say, I'm saying like, you know, fuck man. It's hard for me to get up every day and like go in, go into the office. I gotta imagine you know these tours
2: we don't go into an office our <laughs> our every day is uh really whatever we we want to do like we have obligations and we have things we have to do but at the end of the day this is this is our life we're we're weirdos we're not normal people well that's what I, that's
0: what i'm asking like in terms of like obligations you know i, I know obligations and expectations aren't necessarily the same thing but it, certain expectations have been set right
2: Oh, yeah, and we blow our own expectations out of the water every night because every time I go on stage, every time Ian goes on stage, every time Joe goes on stage, every time Cole goes on stage, we give it, we don't give it 100%. We give it about 200% because it's like, fuck giving 110%. Fuck giving it 75%. We give it all.
3: I've said it a few times, but musicians are the ones that end up selling us our guitar strings when we go into a guitar store. They're too busy with their little chops. We're entertainers. It's not the 45 minutes you're on stage. Rock and roll is really what happens. The 23 hours and 15 minutes in between that. You know, it's a lifestyle. I mean, get up and basically give up everything. I'm not not complaining, but living out of a suitcase and traveling around the world to entertain people. Can you do it? Maybe. But how many bands haven't been able to? You said it yourself, 15 years, and we're still doing it. That. That's pretty cool. I
0: guess I'm trying to, you know, put my myself in the headspace of somebody who's been doing something for 15 years. Because I, I haven't been doing anything for 15 years. Like there's not, you know, and then and this is.
2: I've done this band. I've been doing this band for longer in my life than I haven't been doing it. Yeah.
0: Which is which is crazy. Like again. There's literally nothing in my life I can think of that I've been doing for 15 years other than like you know sleeping and breathing. and eat yeah I mean granted there are some like you know <laughs> sort of like natural reflexes, um, but but you know is it is it is it strange to be doing to not 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 just be playing music but to you know and be playing music in more or less the same configuration again that you've been doing longer than you haven't been doing it.
2: Well, maybe it's strange to some people. I'm a strange person. Um, well, not really that strange. But, you know, it's just like, it's it's just dedication. This is just what I do. I don't really know anything else. You know why it's different? Because we just had another child.
3: It's called Underneath the Rainbow. All of our childs are different. So, you know, we're presenting this child to the world. Sure. You know, this this is a whole new experience.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I mean it's, why,
3: so why, with the same configuration, has it not gotten old? A, a we're friends. We don't quite hang out when we're not on tour, but hell, we're always on tour, so it depends how you want to look at that. Is that is that true you guys don't,
0: because, uh, you know, it's been like well, three years since the last record came out, right? Well,
3: three years to y'all, but, I mean, we've been traveling. Yeah. You know, I, I think people don't realize that just because a publication isn't writing about us doesn't mean that we're not, especially the Black Lives, we're not in Israel, or we're not in Russia or we're not in South America in three years we haven't stopped touring yeah. I mean it got a little easier last year because we were dedicating some more time on this record than we have in previous years thing oh. thing, I to fill you in a
2: juicy little tip oh, yeah. I can throw a baseball at Cole's back door from my house <laughs> okay. so me and Cole still hang up but we're neighbors
0: so. uh, every, everybody's got you know it seems like everybody's got you know five or six or seven side projects at the same time I mean is that
2: yeah, I mean, Ian's got diamond rugs Cole's got Cole and Joe have night sun I got Gay blades but they all those guys quit to start a restaurant. Uh, no, I now I got to bam my little brother Douglas the street team.
0: <laughs> you know, I mean, you know if you, if you put out a new Black Lips record every year, people would buy it. You could tour on that. I mean, there's enough of a following that you could keep doing that. So what's what,
3: like I said, our last record has—you said three years. Has it really been
2: three? I thought. I, which
0: three. is shocking. No, I looked this up too. I, I think time is collapsing in on itself right now. But 2011.
2: Big. So when we put out a record, it takes a long time to cover six continents. Uh, my point is that
3: just because we haven't put out a record doesn't mean we're not working.
0: No, 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 no. But, but what I'm saying is, like, even though again it's been three years, and and you're, and obviously you guys are traveling more than a lot of other. I mean, you you're literally playing places that nobody's played before. But at the same time, it seems like everybody's also got you know five or six balls in the air.
2: Well, we like to stay busy. You know why? Because we're workaholics, and I'm an alcoholic.
0: <laughs> I mean, is it is it about? You know, is is it about sort of keeping it fresh? Is it trying to, like, is...
2: I mean,
3: honestly, I, I one of our, not our, but, it, well, I guess definitely ours, but uh, occupational hazards would probably be the the problem of once we're home for too long, which is only, like, a week or two. I don't know. I don't want to speak on their behalf, but I start getting stir-crazy because I'm so used to having the bag, going to the next
2: location, getting up, dun-dun. Well, it's, like, it's, like, it's like this. When you're at home... I have family that are military personnel, and when they come home from a tour of Iraq or Afghanistan, they're insane. Like they're they're not normal people anymore. Uh, we kind of get that, but we don't get shot at when we're on the road, and it's hard adapting back to civilian life because we live a life as retired men when we're at home. So, what are you gonna do besides do it myself? I make some. I like to build stuff.
0: I mean, it's, it sounds like it, it, you were saying it sounds like you took a little, a little more time on this record.
3: Oh, we did. Um, we did two sessions here in New York, two sessions here in Nashville. Which uh, my first record with them was in 2005. I'm not on the first two. I love that record. It's called Let It Bloom. We did 10 days. Bam. So yeah, we're doing more than that.
2: I have a run to yeah. serious. Oh yeah,
3: yeah, Are you yeah, serious?
0: yeah. A I'm a serial.
2: Right. Jared's hey, taking off. Brian. Yeah, yeah, I'm Brian. Brian? Yeah. Sorry, I have
0: to run, but No, I was saying, like, that's like, bye. Yeah. Bye, Brian. Bye. I'll miss you. <laughs> is that appropriate? Uh, <laughs> oh, yeah.
3: yeah. Sure. I'm looking for probably? some iced coffee. It's
0: New York City, man. Oh, no, I, the, was, this, that shit rains from the sky here.
3: No, we have, we have a great job, the, but like I said, the, our, one of our occupational hazards is and learning how to be able to sit still, like a, I guess a common man, because we're always getting up, getting out, and getting something for like four months straight, and then all of a sudden, nothing.
0: And yep. then I wake up and I'm like, holy shit. So have you? I mean, again, you've been you have you have been with the band since the beginning, but you've been with them for a while. Have T- you? Is my tenth year. I mean, okay, that's, yeah. that's the majority oh. of the time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, like I like thir- was just saying that I
3: can I can speak from my first record. Uh, we did ten days on that record. We spent a lot more time on this record than ten days, but it still wasn't yeah. that long. How long was it, Joe? How
5: long- this record, yeah. uh, how many sessions? Uh, was- there were like five different sessions, probably. Oh yeah, we did one in
3: Atlanta too. So five sessions: two New York, two Nashville, one Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So a couple months on and off.
0: So, I mean, that's ten days. Yeah, which is still not a ton of time for, uh, for you know, a band that's been making records for as long as you have. It seems like people like to take their, you know, on their 15th year, it seems like people like to take their their, their time making records.
3: Yeah, I've, I've always said that after a couple, like, three days or, like, a couple takes, you start not doing it from the heart. Yeah. You, you start doing it from your mind, and I think that's where a lot of the magic is when you're doing those first couple takes from, from your heart yeah. or with anything in life. You know, once you start thinking about it too much, your brain, you know, the, the, the middle ground between your brain and your heart is your hands. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or you could vice versa yeah. and do in between your heart and your brain is your hands. Sure. I want to go from the heart to the hands, it's and good. there's something real and primal about that. Yeah.
6: Yeah.
3: yeah. And once it goes from the heart to the hands, yeah. then to the mind, then your mind starts fucking shit up. You start second-guessing yourself. And I, don't, I guess my point is I like to do things quick, and, and that's usually how the black lips work.
0: Are you, are you guys pretty you guys are pretty much live in studio anyway.
5: Yeah, what you say, Joe. Live instrumentation, but uh there's always overdubs
3: and vocals later.
0: So, I mean, why again, why spend you know that much more time than 10 days working on this last record?
3: Uh it's really just cuz uh we'd have to go off and go do something, go do a session in New York and then we'd have more shows to do, more tours to do and uh-huh. then come back. So, it's even though this record did take longer, I don't know how, it didn't really take that much longer, just but it was more spaced out, let's just say.
5: And some songs sound better in different settings, so if a song didn't quite sound good enough at one studio, maybe try it at the next one. And we had two producers, so we had to do, like, different sessions.
0: Why, why did you end up having two producers on the record?
3: Well, because we had uh, two guys that we really liked offer their services. Um, do you know about them? Tommy Brennick. I don't. Tommy Brennick, uh... I think he did play the guitar on Amy Winehouse's record. Uh, don't quote me on that, or say, I think he did. Yeah. Um, but he's part of the whole Daptone Studios. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tom Brennan? Yeah. And uh, he works with Charles Bradley. Yeah. And just, we like we like things to sound. The, I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And the way music was originally done is how he still records it. Purely analog, very minimal miking and... We just really like how his records have sounded so we wanted to, I mean that Amy Winehouse record sounds great.
0: I mean it sounds like you know, if he's doing it sounds like he's doing a lot of soul stuff, so he's yeah. are, are you guys a little more a little more stripped down than he's used to probably, right?
3: Uh, I mean no, those souls guys, even though there was more people in the studios, there was only like one mic on all the horns. Yeah, they probably do
5: like eight tracks, half inch tape. Uh, stacks I know, so any Stacks record you hear is certainly just like one of those tall task him like eight track half-inch tape machine yeah, so only four tracks yeah
0: it's just how you blend it Final. so are so again like you're home for like 10 days constantly touring we were days. you were home for five days cool. but what how how are, how are these songs coming together
3: uh we all bring songs to the table and flush them out it ain't like a situation where we need to put like a flea line or a, like if the song only needs a simple little part then that's all I do or that's all whoever does if it needs a lot more work then we'll do that we
0: we've,
3: we've just been around been playing with each other so long that I think we just know what needs an addition and what doesn't
0: but well, you guys are you guys are pretty much practicing on stage at this point Did
3: you say that yeah yeah that's the way it's always been
5: we've never been much of a practicing band
3: sound checks yeah we'll get something done and sound check
0: you just get i mean you just, you, you just get better through through playing well, it, yeah,
5: it's it's a matter of personal responsibility too it's your job to to bring your skills to the game you know if your skills suck then you better you know hone them in and clean them up a bit and make them better
0: i mean when are you doing that though cuz again you guys are pretty much with each other you know 20 24 hours a day
3: when are we tightening up i mean yeah. I, hell up? some people say that we aren't very tight but uh how are the black lives maintaining our sound just playing with each other like I know like when he hits you just I mean it's stuff you can't really talk about you just or you, you can't really explain it's just I know his rhythm and I can just fall more into the pocket as time goes on after 10 years I know how these guys play
0: well that's I mean that's again that's the the thing about everybody having all these side projects at the same time is like I mean what's it's got to be weird once you are playing with dudes that you haven't haven't been playing with for ten years.
3: I mean, uh, my other band, Diamond Rugs, the only thing we've ever done is like four shows and we did play David Letterman, but we don't have time to do really side projects because we're always with the Black Lives. But my point earlier saying that uh, I have trouble sitting still is, yeah, if I do have two weeks off, I usually am, you know, producing this band or recording this band. I just, I have trouble sitting still. I don't want to speak for these guys. but. I have trouble sitting still, so I put a studio in my house. and so. But it, when do our side projects have time to do anything? They don't.
0: Alright, it's confession time now. I know you're saying Um have already admitted to having uh, thrown up immediately after an interview and technical difficulties, so... What could what could, could possibly be the horrible thing about this one? Um, this is uh, so I I love I love what Andy does so much. She's she's a she's a wonderful publisher uh, out of Toronto. She's she's just she's she's. she's it, you know, it's it, it's really like a, a, a only a it's, you know one or two people operation at this point, very very small. But they're putting out some of the best uh, independent comics out there. Um, so it's really I, I was excited to talk to her. She was on my uh, short list of people that I wanted to, to speak with because like, I, I hadn't actually had a chance to interview her for whatever reason and, uh, uh, until uh, until Mocha in April. So this is another one from from several months ago. Uh, so. Um, you know, she was. I think like my fourth or fifth interview during the day. Um, uh, let's see, Paul Hornschmeyer, who that episode is aired. Um, the James Kolchaka one. I, I think there was another one in there. I, I oh, uh, Peter Cooper was in there uh, as well. So all those re- went really well. And just for whatever reason, um, and, and this is totally on me, but you know, for whatever reason, uh, you know, sometimes I don't know. Sometimes I'm just you know, kind of not. Not on my game. I'll be the first to admit that. You know, I can. I will happily. Uh, I'm not going to do it here, but you know, I I, I I I could point out some past episodes of ROL where uh, things didn't really go um, as well as well as I I had planned or hoped, and and for whatever reason, uh, this one was uh, one of those cases. It was it was totally on me. So the interview was actually cut um, relatively short. I just kind of, I don't know. My rhythm was off. I'm not really sure what, what's happening, but I you know, I was, I was able to uh, to. To, to salvage most of the interview um, which I think was really interesting she said she's super fascinating I think the story behind why she decided to get into publishing uh, without actually knowing anything about the publishing industry is a super fascinating one so uh, I did decide to salvage it I, my, my apologies to Annie, because again, totally on me. I'm sorry that this one didn't didn't show up earlier, but I'm glad that we're finally having a, a chance to, to to air it now. So, uh, Annie, check out uh, check out all of her stuff. She's wonderful, and her her uh, her her company is wonderful as well. Uh, my interviewing skills are sometimes wonderful. I don't think that's the case here, but you know, maybe send me a letter and tell me how uh, hard I'm being on myself and how how actually okay this is. Or don't. I, I, Either way, but, uh, but uh, here's interview number three with uh, Annie Koyama.
6: It's not that bad. I mean, I was in the film production part of it, but, uh, you know, like any other job, I, I can take pride in doing a good job at the film yeah. production part, but you find yourself in boardrooms with, you know, 20 people, and you have to pretend with a really straight face that you think that this toilet paper brand is going to save the world. It's, if you're not a good actor, it's, it's very wearing. So I'm not a good actor that way. So it, it sort of wore me down. So it was, more, it
0: was really just not believing about necessarily the products you were advertising for?
6: No. I mean, no. I mean, no. <laughs> and if you'd ask me, I never wanted to be in advertising. I just fell into because I was documentary filmmaker. Hmm. That's my first love in film. Yeah. And then I, you know, I got t- I got started late in that and I got tired of being poor. I wanted a car. So I was like 30 and I wanted a car. So how can I make some money? I love film to death. So maybe I'll try feature films for a while and I did but then you're traveling all the time so you can, can't have any yeah. meaningful relationship with anybody. So then I thought, well, how can I keep my car and still make a good wage no, commercials.
0: Go, go, to the, go to the dark side.
6: Yeah, so I did for a while.
0: How, yeah. how, many, how many documentaries had you worked on prior to that? Well,
6: I started at the National Film Board, so I worked on like a whole batch okay. there. And then I went to freelance and worked with a couple other companies.
0: But you weren't making, making your own necessarily?
6: I'm not a director. I okay. was a producer. And, I mean, in those days, production manager, you do everything yeah. on documentaries. So. What does that?
0: What, what, what that entail?
6: You have to order, you know, book the crews, uh, order all the equipment, you know, drive around, yeah. do the location scouting with the director. You, you do everything on documentary because there's no money. It's, it's not a lot different than cartooning.
0: So you sort of, you wanted to be involved in something creative.
6: I did, yes. But
0: not necessarily directly creating it.
6: No, I'm a better organizer, I think, than I am a creative person. I can be a creative organizer, but I'm, you know, I was a painter for a while, and I'm a competent painter, but I'm not a super creative painter. So, yeah. So I'm not a painter
0: anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, again, you, you, you get sick. Uh, you you want to get away from advertising. You you want to you want to do something you believe in. Uh-huh. Uh, couldn't you have just jumped back into documentaries?
6: I, yeah, I could have, but I didn't want to. So I wanted to do something new.
0: Yeah. yeah. you just been there, done that?
6: Yeah. And, you know, why not? I think that when you get, like, a second chance, you yeah. should really use it for something. So I'm not afraid of taking a risk of trying something new. And in many ways, it was really good that I didn't know what I was doing because it's pretty daunting nobody gets rich as you probably know yeah. not very many of us in this part of what I'm doing so you really have to love it and uh, you know work every single day for many many years to build it up
0: you still were sort of dipping your toes in it though early on right
6: Well I started publishing comics in 2008 okay so yeah there so were pretty maybe year straightforward there? Yeah. from there yeah uh,
0: yeah I can't I mean, did you look around and, and did you look at the publishing landscape and sort of realize that maybe this wasn't the best time to get into publishing?
6: I didn't take a step back and look at it. But as I was working in it over the years, of course, you, you know, you find out the realities. But honestly, it's what I wanted to do and I wanted to try something new so it wouldn't have stopped me anyway. Yeah. I didn't get in at a good time. So you know, a more sensible person would have probably run away screaming yeah. and I can't blame them. But, I, you know, I like a good challenge.
0: I'm wondering if you got in at a good time just because everybody else would have run away screaming. You know, maybe fewer yeah. people are trying to get into it. now.
6: I feel like unless we're in a real depression financially, there's always going to be people, if you're putting out good work, who are going to yeah. look for it. Who are You know, if somebody's good, they're going to find a little market for it. Mm-hmm. So I didn't worry about that. I sort of couldn't worry about that. I just sort of... It was enough that people would like the stuff that I did, yeah. would like the stuff that I like. So that was a huge risk. I had no idea that, you know, hmm. three other people would like Michael DeForge's work. But I was pretty sure there were three people out there. Yeah. So. Yeah.
0: It was really just a, an opportunity for you to put out the stuff that you wanted to see out there.
6: Yeah, absolutely. Yes.
0: So, so, I mean, you know, on one side, you're working against this this massive ongoing recession. And then on the other side, you're working against the fact that maybe people just aren't buying books anymore. Yeah. Yes. I mean, publishing in general is not. In- True.
6: It doesn't stop me. It's, you know, I, I'm aware of the realities. I, yeah. You know, I see it every day in what I do. I see people coming to these shows where we spend a lot of money to fly down and, you know, get here as cheaply as we can and then people come by with their cameras and take a picture of the book and then go home and order it on Amazon yeah. for cheaper So, and the artist is right there. I get if you only have so much money why you would do that but that stuff is hard.
0: All right, here we are—the the fourth and final interview of episode 99, uh, and I, the longest one as well. Save, save the longest for last. Um, so this this was from back in uh, back back over uh, God, when was this? This was uh, this was over the summer. This was uh, oh no no, I'm sorry. This was this was September. So mid September, uh, I was really excited. I was doing a, a live interview with with Feral Dow Ripple. At, uh, at Greenlight Books, a w- wonderful bookstore in Brooklyn, um, really really likes his book. He's a he's he's a very very fascinating guy and a, a wonderful artist. Um, had had spoken with him for Publishers Weekly, did a long interview that went up there, and uh, for a second was nice enough to ask me to do this and um, sat down. The interview went really well, um, but there was some there there were some issues with the microphone situation uh, as far as you know. I. I was under the impression that we were going to be recorded that it was going to be all wonderful and sounding really great and we were going to record it directly through the board so we'd be able to use um this live show as just basically an episode of R I Y L. um things sort of like fell through there were some technical difficulties i got there unfortunately that wasn't the case so um you know the show must go on i, I took out my little recorder and said hey, you know what 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 the hell let's give it a shot put it on a podium sitting between the two of us um, not the best way to get sound it's it's very echoey and we sort of sound like we're in the distance and um, I think I don't know what it I don't know if it was a PA system I don't know if it was somebody's mic or somebody's uh, phone or what was happening but there's a just a constant uh, high pitched squeal going through a lot of it again not as bad as I'm making it sound right now but you know it's I don't know. It, I, fair warning: this is why it's at the end of the episode. Um, if you too much for you, I, 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 I totally understand. I, I think it's okay. I just listened to uh, to most of it as I was putting this thing together. Um, I don't think it's that bad. So uh, hopefully it's salvageable. Hopefully you'll enjoy it. Hopefully you will check out the Wrenchies, Ferrell's new book. Um, you know, I think it's a pretty good talk. So cut it in about half. That's all. Uh, that's all I could take for for that fun squealy sound. So um, do uh, hope. Uh, Hope, hope you can take it as well. It occurred to me that, you know, in a book full of post-apocalyptic landscapes and kids doing drugs and murdering each other, that the most, like, brutal part of the book was the, the moment when he made him sit on the diaper. <laughs> <laughs> like, he, uh, he, he went to church, like a youth, it was sort of like a youth service. Mm-hmm. and his punishment was to sit on the, the, chair the, diaper, the diaper chair yeah. <laughs> yeah that was like
4: a real thing I never had to sit on it but um uh like I was raised real religious and uh yeah there's uh our children's church pastor had that was like a way of like humiliating kids to keep them from talking I guess yeah. <laughs> just like you know humiliation treatment you know mm-hmm. rather than like spanking them or whatever it sounds like it worked I get, yeah, I never, like I said, I never had to sit on it, so <laughs> I think my sister did one time. So why, why was this the, because you, you had said
0: earlier that, um, you know, this is I guess a part that you read pretty much every time you give a, a presentation,
4: right? Mm-hmm. Why, why is this the base? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's weird because it's like not so much like the rest of the book. Yeah. Um, I think it it has something to do with, like, the length of it, and, uh, I guess, like, you know, maybe somewhat the personal nature of it, like, a lot of the stuff is from my, uh, you know, from my youth, I didn't dress up, like, in a superhero costume Mm -hmm. or anything, but, uh, I don't know, I just, like, uh, I think, like, I get most of my ideas kind of from around a time in my life, Hmm. and, um, it seemed, uh, the part, that's, like, the character I kind of respond the most to, and it seemed like... When I talk to other people, they like that character too. So it seemed like kind of a good thing to be able to read rather than like, yeah, just like people cutting each other's heads off and stuff like that. <laughs> so, so is that
0: so? So this this um this sort of this idea of, of escapism through through comics. That this is this is I mean, this this hits pretty close to home for you. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. Were you uh you were a big comic reader growing up?
4: Yeah, I mean that like uh scene in the grocery store when he's like squatting, you know, that was like yeah. Pretty much like every week, you know, I'd be in the, the spinner rack in the grocery store where my mom shopped, and I would, you know, squat down and read them. I never stole any comics. You know, but
0: <laughs> at what point? Uh, at what point did you did you know that you wanted to, to be a comic book artist?
4: Um. Well, I wanted to from when I when I was when I knew that was a thing you could do, <laughs> like when I was a little kid, uh, and then just throughout my life. Like, even up until I was going to art school, I I wasn't, I mean, it was like, I, I didn't really know what a comic artist was. Like, I was like, I guess I want to draw, like, Spider-Man or something like that. I wasn't thinking I would be, like, a graphic novelist or an author or anything like that. But I was still, like, during that whole time, I was making my own comics anyway. Like, I would just write and draw my own comics just for fun or for me. And uh, I think kind wasn't until just like the last couple of years where actually like, oh no, okay, that's that's like what I want to do. Like, I want to, you know, write and create my own books. Like, I don't want to be an illustrator or like draw anyone else's stuff. Like, that's like the, the thing I want to do. <laughs> it, it was just, it was something that was,
0: I guess, too too far off for, for you? I mean, something that just a, a select group of people got to do? Yeah,
4: I mean, it was it was more of a, I didn't, um, I guess I didn't think about it too carefully. Hmm. Like, And two, like, it seems that, like, I don't know, the market or just the way, there didn't seem to be as much of a potential for doing that. Like, I didn't, there's no, like, mentorship program that I'm aware of. Like, even where I went to school at, uh, School of Visual Arts, which, uh, some other SVA guys in here, um, there, like, that was, it seemed, like, really focused on learning how to draw and paint and stuff, Mm -hmm. and not, not so much, like, how to be an author or anything like I mean, why would, why would it be? But um, it didn't seem like, even though that's a cartooning school, it seemed more about, like, here's how you draw something, here's how you draw a story, or here's how you can illustrate a story or something, as opposed to, like, here's how you create your own your own work. At least I didn't have any classes like that. I was not I was actually in the illustration program, so that might explain. That, that. Might, that might, I think they have, <laughs> um, they have they,
0: at least now they have, they have comics classes. Right? Yeah, Like
4: more storytelling <laughs> focused. But even okay. like stuff like, you know, production, like how to self-publish and yeah. all that, um, that was all just like kind of me learning on my own or asking friends how to do things. And uh, I think through the course of doing that, like me just realizing, it's like, oh, no, I... Uh, I need to kind of set some goals, and like, <laughs> you know, like, I, I knew I wanted to, to write books, but um, I think I still kind of have this idea of like, oh, I can't really make a living off that, or I can't, that can't be my main thing, I want to like, you know, I'll be like an illustrator or something to like pay the bills.
0: Are, are you, you know? still, are, are, are you sure now that you can't make a living off of it?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm doing one one story right now for a friend because I'm, you know, kind of honoring a commitment, like a <laughs> years-long commitment to do this project. Uh, but after that, I, I, I kind of just want to, yeah, do my own stuff from now on. <laughs>
0: so, 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 so was sort of, I mean, that was where you figured out that there was more beyond Marvel and DC, right? I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't really until you got, a, a, until you were surrounded by artists that you realized that there was a world of independent publishing.
4: Yeah, for sure. I um, like when I went to school there. Like, yeah, like I said, I was I was just in an illustration program. I was gonna be. I, I was gonna be an illustrator, but I, I kind of was bored of Marvel and DC type comics. Like, I, I for a couple years, I just kind of wasn't. I didn't read anything, and I knew there were other things like Bone and like the Hernandez brothers and stuff like that, but um, there was there was so little of that that I was exposed to. It wasn't like. Uh, enough to like I guess make me excited about the idea of it you know of like you know doing that kind of thing it's like there's like two slots out there and they're both filled right now yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> um so when I uh like kind of close to when I graduated or you know sometime around the time when I graduated I had a finished like a 40 page book that I mm-hmm. I made in, in two different classes in Walt Simonson's class in my junior year and my senior year in Keith Morrison's class and I um I was just curious you know like what do I do with this like I have this book like you know and I remember hearing a thing Ray Bradbury said once about having the proof of your excellence to show your friends <laughs> so I was like well I want to make this into a book so I can just pass it out to people like give it to people mm-hmm. and I uh I talked to a couple guys that were doing their own book uh I think the name of the book was Quick and Forbidden Dave Roman and John Green, and uh, yeah, I just asked them a bunch of questions, and they helped me out a lot, and they took me down to the Small Press Expo that year, and so when I got to Small Press Expo, I was like, wow, there's all these other people making comic books, their own comic books, and I had no idea, and so, like, yeah, I discovered all these amazing artists, and, and that did get me, like, really excited about, like, oh, cool, I can do this thing, I can, like, I'm part of this club now or something, you know? It seems like, like, once you make a book, like, your first book and you're just, like, automatically, it's like, oh, I'm a cartoonist. Like, I'm in this club of other people. <laughs> that's pretty that much this all it stuff. takes is my understanding. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's when people ask me, like, how do you break into the comic yeah. business and like, make a comic book? I don't know, <laughs> you know? It's like,
0: Well, the, the business part still comes later if you're if you're lucky.
4: Yeah, I mean, I think that that is, though. That is the yeah. business. It's just, like, yeah, I mean, I guess knowing how to sort of navigate that, which I'm still trying to figure out. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, like, that's... I mean that's how you you know immediately as soon as you do a comic book you're in you know <laughs> yeah
0: it just I mean it, it impresses me though that you you, you produce a, a 40 page book without any idea that it would ever possibly go out in the world you just you just had this sort of like burning desire to yeah get words, on, words I, and pictures on paper
4: well I remember reading at the in the SVA library because um, they had a, a nice collection of different stuff I hadn't seen before, and a lot of stuff too, I'm like, I guess I should read Watchmen, you know, like mm. things like that, you know, like <laughs> I guess I should read these books that everyone keeps talking about. Um, but there, uh, I read um, Violent Cases, mm-hmm. Dave McKean and uh, Neil Gaiman wrote it, and uh, that really impressed me, and I think I just started drawing this character from that, mm. and uh, in, in Walt Simonson's class, I think that was maybe like the... Like a requirement for the class, you had to produce a comic book by the time you were done. I just was like, I guess a little more ambitious than, you know, maybe I should have been or something. But <laughs> than most most yeah. SBA students because it took me like two yeah two years to do it. Yeah. So.
0: What so what was the uh, what was it what was the subject matter of that of that
4: early book? Oh, it was called Smith's Adventures in the Super Mundane, and it was about this like little weird quiet kid, kind of like Hollis, but. He doesn't dress up in an outfit or anything. Uh, And he's just in this kind of like an asylum type Mm -hmm. place that, uh, I don't know, it's kind of like a sort of surreal, like most of my stuff, I guess. Uh, It's like a dreamlike quality to it. And uh, yeah, it's just kind of him dealing with being in this place where he kind of doesn't fit in and then, you know, eventually escapes. (laughs) I mean, how
0: much, do you feel like your your stuff is still kind of informed by the fact that you didn't have a... Like a formal narrative training.
4: Uh, I hope so. I mean, I I mean, I read <laughs> yeah, a lot. That, that's a good thing. I think. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think that uh, I've seen like so many movies and and television mm-hmm. programs, and you know, a lot of those ba- a lot of them are really bad, and um, a lot of them really good. And read a lot of books and comics and stuff. And I, I think whenever I start to when I become aware of mm. something having a formula it just like turns me off and I'm just like not as interesting usually I can take parts from it that, mm-hmm. in, that I like but um if I like become too aware of like, like oh there's like a there's a structure to this thing uh, this I mean I, I feel like my my story does have a structure I've heard other people talk say it's extreme like of consciousness or something but like it all was very planned out like <laughs> start to finish like I mean I definitely had like an ending all planned out when I started the book yeah and, you know, I knew what was going to happen, what was going on, and then it was just kind of trying to make everything work within it. And it all makes sense to me. Like, it, it all, it, you know, all works in my head anyway and on pa- and on paper when I look at it. But uh, I can understand it being, like, confusing or seeming like, oh, this is, like, weird or different than other stuff out there.
0: The, the, the last time I, I talked to you, I think, was, like, was right before, right before the book came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were both wondering what how people were going to react to it because... Because yeah, I mean, I, you, you know there there are, there are, there is a narrative structure, or there are pieces of narrative structure, but it definitely it balances you back and forth between between chapters. Yeah,
4: like I I tried, I mean, I did that on purpose, where like I wanted um, sort of to change the storytelling from a chapter to mm-hmm. chapter, like even the uh, like stylistically, like visually. I I uh, like when I started the book, I knew it was gonna be different by the time I finished. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean the story was the same, but I knew like my art was just going to naturally change a little bit probably just like I couldn't help it.
0: Just from the repetition.
4: Yeah, I mean just I, I mean yeah, over the years like Yeah. I mean it took me 5 years over to five make it Over 5 years of so. becoming a, a better artist. Yeah, I didn't know it was going to take me 5 years to do it when I started, but I um I um I just I just figured that if like okay, if it's this many pages, I'm going to like it's probably going to look the first panel the first part of the book is probably going to be getting me getting comfortable with these characters yeah. and stuff, and then by the end, I'd, I'd imagine it was going to, like, yeah, just, like, look different. So I, I, I intentionally changed it from chapter to chapter, just to kind of say, like, oh, no, I did that on purpose, you know? <laughs> of, <laughs> kind of, of, of
0: just not, of, of literally not drawing the same characters over and over again?
4: No, more of just, like, I, I did things where, um, you know, I changed the kind of paper that I used, mm. um, the size that I worked at. um some of the materials, like most of the book was inked with a brush, but then uh, some of it here and there was done with like uh, like pit pens, like uh, archival, uh, I don't know, sorry, i mean nerdy, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> 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 faber pit pens. Um, so uh, yeah, and even the way I um, like water it too, like I tried to uh, kind of intentionally like, you know, like when they're in the post-apocalyptic world, it was a lot like grittier. And then, uh, you know, in certain other areas, I tried to make it like a lot cleaner, and you know. But and a lot of that stuff goes out the window too when you like have the, the printed book in your hand, I'm like okay, it looks different than it did on my computer yeah. screen anyway.
0: <laughs> so you you were you were literally doing you were doing all of the art piece by piece. I mean, you were you were painting it in pieces as well. You didn't
4: yeah, I did it uh, page by page. There was a couple pages where I did in advance, but very few. I mostly just like started with page one and then just worked through the band.
0: That's a, it's a that's a fascinating process of of doing those doing those layers like that.
4: Well, I think I think I'm, I might be wrong in this, but I feel like most cartoonists work that way. Like I don't know anyone that really like. I guess the ones who around. also
0: ink and color their their own work, which yeah,
4: yeah. Or, or or write their own work too. Yeah. I mean, I um, yeah. I mean, I might be wrong about that, but it seems like most of the people I know, it seems like you kind of kind of start around page one, and you know, works know, sequentially. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would do, like, thumbnails, where I would do, like, 30 pages of thumbnails at a time, but, uh, yeah, that was, like, I mean, I, and, you know, I did a lot of writing and problem solving and stuff like that, too.
0: But you were, I mean, in a sense, you were really kind of, you were working the story out as you were, as you were drawing the pages, right?
4: A little bit, yeah. I mean, I had, uh, I was adding stuff to it, like, uh, had a bunch of notes that I kept adding. So by the time I, uh, I got to the last chapter, I had to uh, leave a lot of things yeah. out.
0: But it, it more or less ended as you, um, as you had, had
1: anticipated?
4: Yeah, I mean, all the. I, I, when I submitted the book to first, second, like the pitch or whatever, um, I, I didn't have any of it thumbnailed or anything. I just had like about 15. I had 15 sequential pages that I'd done for a previous thing, like in an anthology. And then I uh, had about fifteen drawings that were just like uh, sketches, like promotional stuff type stuff. And uh, I had about two pages of plot, and the plot's pretty much exactly the same as what what you have, you know. So I product.
0: really, I really want to know, like, what but again? Because this is this this is a multi-layered book, and and every time I've looked at it again, I've I've found new things, which I, I suspect That's is awesome. pro- probably also the case with you. I mean, I was pointing out a um. Character in the book who looked a lot like a an X Man. Yeah, <laughs> which I can see you, you hadn't noticed until that. Until yeah. not either. But so what? How did you distill it? I mean, that, that that's that, that's kind of a mind-boggling thing for me. Is, is you know this it's this 300-page book. There's a lot a lot going on. Um, I'll, you know, I'll admit, like I didn't really grasp it the first time I read it. So what is what's the like as they say in, in the tech industry, what's that elevator
4: pitch? Oh, uh, oh boy. Yeah, this meets that thing. I don't know. Um, I I just I kind of see it as like this like metaphysical fantasy quest, and then within that, there's also this uh, story about like a middle-aged wizard who's having like an existential crisis. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't I don't know if that's uh, an elevator pitch or not. Sure, (laughs) that's kind of the way I guess. Yeah, what I've been telling people.
0: Yeah, five years. I mean, yeah. I, if you if you if you had known that it was going to be five years from the outset, would you have would you have still sat down to, to work on the book?
4: Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I've um, I have like a lot of different projects that I've started that just kind of languish, you know, mm-hmm. in like file folders and stuff. Um, but um, I mean, it was hard to get through it. I mean, there were certain times where uh, I had to uh, you know make a living doing mm. other things, <laughs> <Even> <laughs> you know, in like, well, yeah, I mean, like, you know, doing illustration jobs, or doing, um, um, you know, like, kind of commercial work, you know, doing stuff for Marvel or DC or whatever, you know, that kind of stuff, um, so uh, that was kind of, like, hard to, d- to deal with, where I can't, I couldn't just completely immerse myself, you know, I try to get, like, where I could work on it for a couple months straight. Mm-hmm. But most of it was just kind of, like, just chipping away at it, like, every day, like, working a little bit on it here and there. And then if it got to be, like, a few weeks where I wasn't working on it, I'd start to get, like, really stressed out. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I wasn't... Yeah, I thought it was going to maybe take me, like, a year or two. And then, yeah. Um, I feel like with most of the things that I do, there's some kind of, like, cognitive dissonance or, like uh, like, level of, like, delusion that I have to, like... Use to just sort of like get through the day, you know. (laughs) Like, uh, you know, I can get really stressed out if I think about like all the stuff that I have to do, and that was like really stressful. Like working on that book, like especially towards the end, like the last few months, um, were really hard. Uh, I think I did like 40 pages in the last couple months, which isn't a lot, I guess, if you're just like a regular artist, but uh, for me that was like a lot, you know. I'd have to like, you know, wake up every day and like. Start on the spread and then have it done by the end of the night.
0: Yeah, you. Were, yeah, you were. I mean, you were saying again the last time we spoke that you were literally waking up in the morning and then going to bed after. You know, like that. That is. That was yeah. what you had done the entire day.
4: Yeah, and how, then there was like about a month of like production work. And stuff yeah. to get it ready. The same how month.
0: did that? How, how did that affect the um, the storytelling when the, when this sort of like it's, it, it kind of it actually became your life at one point, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I feel there was, a uh, like, I was dealing with that, especially that last chapter is really dark, mm-hmm. you know, like, especially dark for the rest of the book, and, uh, yeah, I felt like there was some kind of, like, I don't know if I was, like, living out what I was writing, or that was kind of a reflection of my life, or what <laughs> was going on, but, uh, yeah, I feel like, kind of, like, you know, it took its toll, you know, put some stress on my relationship, and, <laughs> um yeah, but you know, I got through it, finished it, and yeah. it was good.
0: <laughs> you, you had said that uh, in you know in the early the early readings that you were doing before the, the, the book had, had come out that you were getting almost emotional doing them. I was like, I was like, is, he, is, he, is he gonna cry? Is he gonna cry? Because <laughs> you would <laughs> so actually got like you choked up. Yeah, little. you got a little a little little choked up when you were doing your reading. Yeah,
4: yeah. I don't know why. Like, uh, it's not as bad as the first time. Where it was actually like tears are coming. Yeah. Um, I I don't know if that's like actually because it's like. A it's so personal, or if it is like me, just like you know, I'm not, I'm not very experienced in talking to people and being in front of people. Um, so I don't know if it's just like hearing myself say these lines out loud. Um, but yeah, there's some kind of yeah, I don't know, kind of something to well up in my throat or something like you know, okay, it's okay, I can get through this. <laughs>
0: well, you did. I mean, you did pick the you know the most personal part of the book, right?
4: Yeah, I mean, I wonder too if that's the first time I did that reading. There's a, a thing in Portland, Oregon, where I live uh, called Grid Lords, and they do like I think like every month they have like, or every couple months or something they have different cartoons There's so many cartoonists that live there. They have mm-hmm. like, cartoonists do comic book readings, and uh, that was kind of like when I first did it. I was like specifically requested because I I've, I've never done like a comic book reading before that and. I'd, I didn't really understand it. I was just like, "Well, that's, why wouldn't you just read the comic yourself? Why does someone else have to read it for you?" Um, but uh, it was good that I felt like it was good that I did that, though, because it was neat. It was like the first time I had uh, a rea- any kind of re- response to this work that I've been doing for mm. so long in, I you know, relative isolation. Yeah. I'd shown a couple friends some pages here and there, but um, like that it was that was amazing to get to actually like be able to show. People like a bunch of peers and you know it's a pretty crowded room I got to show everyone I was like, yeah this is what I've been working on for this long and um, everyone seemed to like it so you know I was I was happy I did it um, but yeah that was uh, it was a little hard to get through <laughs> it was, this was a lot easier
0: There you go, episode ninety nine. Dick Gregory, The Black Lips, Annie Koyama, Feral Dow Ripple. Uh, thank you. Uh, if, you know, I feel like we've been on a little, little journey here, a little journey of, of car sickness and technical difficulties and some some brain blockage on my part. Uh, thank you, thank you for thanks for sticking around. You are a, uh, you trooper. You're a true humanitarian. If you manage to make it this far into the interview, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm glad we got them out there. I thought there was some some really fascinating stuff, and you know, would have made me very sad if. Uh, all of these or any of these had never managed to see the light of day. Um, very happy that that happened. Uh, you know, as, as, I, as I alluded to earlier uh, with each of these, I was kind of struggling for a little bit while after the interview was done. And, you know, um, whether it would go up and in what shape and form it would go up. And, you know, if, if it just, you know, if it would just be kind of chalk it up to just, yeah, you know, sadly one of those things that never happened but I'm, I'm really happy that that uh that these were able to see the light of day uh thanks so thank you so much everybody thanks thanks everybody who's been a support of the show we are we've got uh episode 100 coming up very very shortly uh if you have any uh feedback which i'm sure after sitting through all of those you probably do uh it's cast at gmail.com don't tell me the sound i know the sound is bad you have to to tell me that, um, if you uh, if, if if you did in the off chance that you're you're listening to this and you did actually like uh, like what you heard, please follow us. It's rylcast. Tumblr. Com. Uh, you can also uh, follow us uh, over at iTunes. You can race over at iTunes. Uh, thanks, uh, thanks everybody, and we will be back um, very very soon with episode number one hundred of ROyl.